0: Thank mm-hmm. you. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Monday, November 8th. It is Mental Health Monday. Yes. And uh, looking forward to chatting with Heidi here in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin, at cuw.edu.
1: Live uncommon.
0: It is fall, and it actually feels like fall here in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And uh, Heidi, does it feel like fall in uh, Michigan?
2: It does. It does. Uh, it's like nice fall. Like in Michigan, I think we have like nice fall and like preemptive winter. And so, it's
1: nice fall right now, you know.
0: Preemptive winter sounds like it almost sounds ominous like
1: I think that's what we had last week. Pre-emptive. Oh, it is. <laughs> it was freezing for a whole it week. Is. And now it's in the 70s, so it's fine. We had hail <laughs> snow last week. Nice. Oh, I, what is this? That's scary. This? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> welcome <weird>. to Michigan. <laughs>
0: Well, I am looking forward to uh, digging into uh, your book more today, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration. And uh, today we actually get into the first section. Last week we talked about the introduction and uh, today we're actually getting into identity and broken identity, uh, particularly messes in me. So before we even talk about broken identity, we need to define identity, right? What is Mm -hmm. identity?
2: Yeah, I believe in defining all things. As you can (laughs) tell in this book, each section begins with some um, definitions because we can be talking about the same word, but have very different ideas often, especially when we have these really large terms like brokenness, restoration, identity. And so it helps to get on the same page. Um, And I really highly recommend that for our mental health when you're in conversations in today's world to just ask Uh, What do you mean by that? Or what, you know, definition are you using for that word? Um, that can help clear up a lot of assumptions, I think, in conversation. And so for identity, I think that in the church in particular, we have a different definition than the world. Mm -hmm. That said, we live in both places. We are in the world, not of the world, but we are still in it with the word of God in hand. And so we want to be able to have an awareness, I think, of both uh, those definitions in our life, as well as the way that God uses them to interact in us for hope.
1: So How does this relate to, uh, I don't know, comparative suffering? Is that another big term we need to throw out there?
2: (laughs) That is a big term. Yeah, (laughs) I do think comparative suffering are linked. You know, I think we could talk about comparative suffering with pretty much any (laughs) mental health topic because it's uh, really flagrant, if you will. Like Mm -hmm. it's very, uh, very much a part of our human nature. But then also, I think within the Christian church, almost what we've been accidentally taught in some areas of our life. And so identity, if we start there and then move to comparative suffering, we'll see the interaction, I think a little bit more clearly. So identity, we want to define it. And and it is true by the word of God, that it is a sense of who we are in Christ Jesus Uh, and that's really important. And we talk about this a lot, I think in, in like catechism, uh, or discipleship, uh, groups that we're in or courses that we take or conversations around those kind of things. Our growth, uh, is about our identity, but we want to have this identity that is centered on Christ Jesus because he doesn't change and everything else changes. I change the world changes, but. We want our identity to be founded on something really solid. Uh, And so that's valuable. And because we are baptism people, because we know that at our baptism, God calls us his child, he calls us redeemed, he calls us set free, that I need to return to that again and again. And I think part of this comes from our heritage, the fact that Luther told us in his works to remember our baptism each day, because it's so easy to forget who we are, who God says we are and depend on who we think we are or who the world says we are. And those generally aren't great messages <laughs> <laughs> for our mental health in particular. I don't, I don't know for you guys, but for the listener, uh, most of us have some kind of inner critic, uh, that is part of our brokenness, part of our broken state that tells us we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not enough in whatever varied forms that that comes in. And so the world then also can tell us nice things but oftentimes has a different message and it's the same resounding message of not enough so often and so god in his word and in our baptism uh, when he comes to us through the lord's supper or when we're in connection with him in prayer has a different message and his message is you are enough because i sent christ jesus for you that tells you that you're enough and I value you. I want to have relationship with you and in Christ Jesus, you're forgiven, you're set free, you're redeemed, you're all those things. And so that is really the foundational part of our identity. I do think we, do a disservice when we leave it at that. Because there's another piece theologically to this that we find, and it's easiest and clearest in Psalm 139 when it says, you know, I have, I've formed you in the womb. I've knit you together. We also believe in that. And so the fact that God uniquely forms who we are also then, that gives us that second definition of identity that's a little bit more familiar, I think, outside the church, and it's a great connection point in conversation with people who don't know Jesus, is that that identity is also a sense of who we are as a person. Um, You and I understand that's who God made us to be. People who don't have that understanding or that solid foundation, uh, this is a great discussion point of like, who are you? Who do you think you are? And sharing where I get that from and how I understand that as God knitting me together. I am a different person than Andy. I'm a different than Sarah. Uh, But our identities are each solid in Jesus Christ. And then we have this founding stuff, if you will, that he's made me uniquely to be Heidi.
0: Heidi's Heidi's so gracious that she uh, assumes that you nor I have like this inner critic like everybody else does. (laughs) That's funny. I didn't want
2: to throw that assumption on you. And some people, this is important mental health wise is some people have a stronger inner critic. Uh, for some of us, it's (laughs) deeply ingrained. (laughs) Uh, And so when we talk to people, we, we don't always have that same experience of that inner critic, but I do think because of the old Adam, we all have it.
0: So we mentioned, um, we mentioned comparative suffering. What is, or can you give us an example of comparative suffering?
2: Sure. Comparative suffering are those times when we say someone else is going through cancer and I'm just having a bad day, right? That would be an example of comparative suffering. Um, And that might even be an accurate example. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yes, sometimes we just have a bad day and, and other people have bad seasons or have been handed a life that's very, very challenging. However, when we utilize that in our own suffering, usually it um, comes back in our face. It doesn't stick, if you will. Uh, So comparative suffering tends to be invalidation. And so I would give you the example of, well, I might have infertility, but someone else lost their child that died. Well, that's still loss. Both of those are loss and they both hold their own kind of weight of brokenness. And so we don't want to invalidate. First of all, definitely don't want to do this to someone else, which we kind of do a lot. I overhear it a lot. I've been guilty of it before where we try to hand out to someone some other examples of suffering to make them feel better. Like you don't have it so bad. It doesn't make anyone feel better. (laughs) It just makes everything feel heavy because we feel unheard. Um, And one thing I like to say is that God's response to this is much more like his response to Hagar in the desert. Uh, in Genesis, when Hagar is sent off by Sarai and Abram, and uh, she has Ishmael. And this is a terrible moment of suffering in scripture that's recorded, where she puts Hagar by a bush, if I'm remembering it accurately, and walks away and says, OK, Lord, I just don't want to watch him die. And... That is low, the lowest of the low. And I could easily take that example and be like, well, I don't have it like Hagar. But that doesn't make me feel better in the long run. We know from research. Um, and I think we know from our interpersonal relationships, too. And so instead, what does God say in that he says, I see you, Hagar. And he even gives us this name for himself that is, you know, the God who sees. And that's really powerful for us that God, we have a God who responds to us like that instead of pointing his finger. I never want people to get this version of Jesus because he's not in scripture where he points his finger and says, Oh, look at this other person over here. Um, that's not the way that God talks to us. Um, instead, you know, he gives us one another to share in suffering together, so we don't feel alone. And he absolutely sees us in our own variety of struggle and how that intersects with our identity. And maybe after the break, we can go into the how- that intersection a little bit more.
0: Very good. We'll do that. Let's uh, do that in just a moment. It is Mental Health Monday on the Coffee Hour. We're talking with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, taking a look at identity and, and broken identity today in her book, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: welcome back to the coffee hour i'm andy bates
1: i'm sarah Golseth.
0: we are talking it's mental health monday we're talking with deaconess heidi gaiman this morning i'm multitasking
1: which is not my strength i'm just mondaying which is not my strength
0: Uh, we are talking uh, about broken identity in Heidi's book, uh, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration from Concordia Publishing House. We're taking a look at the first section, Messes in Me, Broken Identity. So we were talking about um, identity and comparative suffering. What? And let's dig more into this intersection of identity and comparative suffering and where that leads us into brokenness. Am I following yeah, along I right?
2: When- <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's okay. Funny. Uh, I I think that there's this place where we have so much old Adam interacting that there's like overlapping old Adams, <laughs> and so uh, they're having like a small like wrestling match together. Um, and so comparative suffering is one of those places, and so it gets really confusing really fast. Um, our identity is um, experienced in brokenness, right? And you and I have only experienced it in brokenness because we were um, impacted by sin and the struggles of this world since the womb. I I think of babies coming into the world and how challenging we know it must be to enter from a place that was safe and warm and cozy uh, to a bright room. And even if you have, you know, a home birth and do all the things that are like really um, helpful to tenderize the moment for this infant, it's still like a slap in the face, I think, for babies. And that is just one small example of our experience of brokenness as embodied people, as people who live in bodies, um, as heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so our identity is always impacted by that. And I, The book is Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration. There will be a time when we fully understand ourselves and who we are in Christ. Christ will be right there with us in front of us, holding us, having conversations about it with us. And we do, though, experience that in small parts here, that that restoration through Christ is ours today in many ways. And so I can unravel what it means to be Heidi Gaiman in Christ Jesus. I can unravel what it means to be Heidi Gaiman and how that's different from Sarah Golseth or Andrew. Mm-hmm. in um, many, many ways, right in the here and now. And I think that is a lot of hope for us that restoration is amazing when Christ comes again and there are pieces of it today, but it, uh, with comparative suffering, uh, we do the thing where we, uh, We one-up each other. It's like a drama battle, right? Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I have it really bad. Or sometimes you have it worse than I have it or whatever. You know, all these different ways of looking at it that isn't really helpful. Instead, seeing our common humanity that we do experience brokenness, we all do, within our own experience of it, that this is my particular breed and story of brokenness and hope. And this is your particular breed of brokenness and hope and how it's really helpful to hold both of those things together. Mm-hmm. And so then I can see who you are more clearly and help you see that. And you can do the same for me.
1: Mm-hmm. How do we move through that uh, desire to one up each other? Because it's so easy to do when we all have our things and we all have our stuff that we're, we're dealing Mm -hmm. with. Um, and I, I mean, I can think of several times just in the last probably like week when I've done this, probably to several people around me. Um, it's so easy to fall into. But how how do mm-hmm. we, how do we move through that? My uh, cross
0: is bigger than yours. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. Speaking? Yes. Right. It's <laughs> weird. It it's, is. It's really such a weird thing a to do, it, though.
2: Right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think you name it. And sometimes you have to go back, Uh, you know, the grace rewind is what I like to call it Mm. when you're like, whoops, comparative suffering to that, like did not mean to do that. Instead, like, I want to hold that with you. It's challenging. It's difficult or even for ourselves. Um, And so I think one reason we do this is also like a distraction technique. If I'm looking at your suffering, I don't have to deal with my own to some degree. Um, finding out who we are and who we are in Christ is challenging and a lot of work. It's a lot of effort, um, but good news. Grace is there for that too. So when I look at myself, the answer really is that Jesus died and rose for me and he's coming back for me and he's with me every day. That really is the answer to who I am. Um, and because I know that though, I can do the other stuff. I can stand with him and see more of, of who I am and what he's doing in my story of suffering and brokenness to see the hope. And so that's one reason why we unravel the brokenness. We reveal it is because otherwise it's very challenging to see the hope. I look in the mirror and all I see is the suffering, but with Christ, it's it's a safe place to unveil it so that we can see the hope more clearly.
0: I, I want to I want to dig into identity a little more and I'm trying to find, I, I wrote a question about it, but now I can't find the <laughs> reference to, I should have referenced the actual text that, that developed where this question, the origin of our identity. And you mentioned this earlier too, when, when you were talking about um, like, I think it was Psalm 139 when you referenced that, but where does that, where does our own, how much involvement do we have in the development of our identity?
1: Um mm-hmm. I remember
0: that coming up as a question mm-hmm. when I was reading uh your book. Yeah. Like how much yeah, yeah. How much do we credit think- ourselves for I- right our identity, maybe? <laughs> maybe that's the question I was getting at.
2: Well, I mean, it's this is why dialectics are so important, the both and, because it is absolutely God and Christ alone, but it is also me. He doesn't leave me out of the picture. And so while it is totally him and it's also me. (laughs) And so that that's a really uncomfortable thing, right? Like we want a clear answer to that. We want it to be God or me. Um, And in reality, there's so much wrestling with identity because it is a spiritual concept to understand who I am. And it will bring me to a place where I'm wrestling with God and asking more questions. I think the, the Lutheran answer for so long has been, you are Christ's like, that is your identity. And, um, Our suicide rate is the same as other people's. Our uh, depression and anxiety are all of these different kind of mental health statistics, if you will, are the same. And I think part of that is because we have uh, unfortunately found some easy answers and treated God's word like that at times. And this is very unintentional. I don't think this is something people do on purpose, Uh, but it, it does impact our mental health. It makes it harder to see hope when we're not honest about that both and, that my identity comes from God, but it also is part of me and me understanding and unraveling it for myself that's very complex. Uh this is what therapy is for. Honestly, the heart of therapy is helping you understand the intersection, I think, of those things. Who are who am I and who am I in this world? And um what does that mean for me spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and all of that good stuff. So mm-hmm. um unraveling our identity will also bring up the question I write in the book. Um, I'm just going to read this one sentence, the yuck and sadness of the season that entered my life. And I talk about a specific season in the book, like an unwelcome guest left me asking God, who am I? Because if I am yours, then why all of this? And so I think that is part of how brokenness impacts our identity is like, we're going along fine. And we feel like we kind of understand who we are and even understand who we are in Christ. And then the world drops out from underneath of us. And now we're asking that question again. And it's the great lie, I think, of uh, psychology at times and also uh, theology at times that we just know the answer to that question. And once we find it, we're good to go. Instead, I think that it's meant to be a life's work to understand more about our identity at all times that we are, again, just continuously, just like God reveals himself to us, in Christ and all we need, we also still are in that place where God's revealing himself to us. The same is true for our own identity.
1: Mm-hmm. So then how do we grasp onto that hope uh, that we have in Christ when the world is, is like constantly barraging us with all of these other things that, that are so enticing to want to grab onto as our, as our true identity? Uh, where, where do we find that hope in Christ in, in all of, all of that stuff? Yeah,
2: I think Luther really, he had it spot on on this one is just returning to that central part so that we can do the work and, you know, walk through the surrounding circles of it, the concentric circles of our identity. So returning to who did does God call me? What does God say about me that doesn't change in Jesus Christ is so powerful. I have a a book on Amazon called he calls me loved and it goes through eight different titles that God calls us in the book of Isaiah that can easily get lost because Isaiah is such a rich book in prophecy and in pointing us so directly to Christ that we miss these pieces of what God is saying about us. Um, And again, both and. So when I read that book, all of a sudden it becomes alive for me that he calls me beloved. He calls me child. And in Isaiah, these are capitalized for a reason um, when the translators took that Hebrew there was a reason it stands out as something that is called over us about who we are. Um, and so I'd recommend that resource if someone is kind of walking through an identity uh, struggle in the current season or wants to know more about their identity, getting grounded in that. And each morning, you know, that was Luther's idea that there is something about daily and moment by moment reminding ourselves, I'm God's child. The rest of the stuff, he, he's going to help me understand. He's going to reveal I'm going to be able to deal with it because I have this central piece of who I am understood, forgiven and loved, child of God in Jesus Christ. And that brokenness especially does not define me. I think that is part of what we're going to talk about in the next sections of the book is those overwhelming pieces of identity that feel like they define us and they don't have to. Instead, our... Our identity is solid in Jesus and the rest of the stuff is, is good. And we're going to find out more about it, but it isn't everything.
0: All right. This is so unfair, but with one minute <laughs> left. Um, so how would you say then this hope that we have, how does that impact or shape our identity when we're remembering daily whose we are, when we remember that we are God's child, how does that then shape our identity?
2: Yeah, I think the Easiest way to say it is that it lifts a little bit of the weight, that everything isn't quite as heavy. Uh, There's so much heaviness to life and brokenness is heavy when there's natural disasters and when there is infertility and when there is loss, there's all this heaviness. And the hope is uh, that like lightening the weight of God carrying it alongside me, that I'm not alone, that we're in this together, um, that I can see something better to come Even when I can't see it in this moment, and also I'm gonna have some other people who can help me see it in this moment. Uh, part
0: of being the the body of Christ. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mental Health
0: Monday, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration from Concordia Publishing House CPH.org. Thanks so much, Heidi. Always great to chat with you on Mondays. Thanks.
2: See you next week.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy
1: Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth.